It was uh, the first day of my junior year in college at Iowa when I saw the, the opportunity of a lifetime. It was an ad posted on my professor's door for a sports intern at KWWL. And like instantly there was this vision that danced in my mind of myself and Dan Patrick and Chris Berman hosting SportsCenter on ESPN. And we were en fuego. I mean, it was good. But just as quick, like instantly I was brought back, 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 back to uh, reality when I uh, saw that the deadline had come and gone to apply for this thing. But I, I had seen a vision and I wasn't about yet to let that go. So I took one more step. And I actually called the station, and I, and I explained to them, and they said, hey, bring a resume up, and we'll still consider you a candidate for this position. And I got off the phone, and I thought, resume? What 20-year-old has a resume? <laughs> so I took another step, and I stayed up all night, and I created a resume, and, uh, and I drove it up the next morning. And long story short, I ended up getting this internship. And it ends up leading to an eventual job with KWL as a sports reporter and a sports anchor. And, uh, and some awesome experiences going to NCAA tournaments, Final Fours, uh, working with people like Hayden Fry and Vivian Stringer and, and um, going to the Rose Bowl and all this great stuff. Uh, but it never would have happened if I hadn't had this vision and if I hadn't taken one more step to try to see that vision come true. Now, the disciples were in the same boat. Right? Jesus came along with them and he offered them an incredible internship opportunity, way bigger than just working at a sports station, right? Um, he offered them the opportunity to follow him around and experience the abundant love and life of God himself. And then to carry that mission forward into this world. And they were so eager to be on mission with Jesus that they were always were fighting over who was going to be the greatest in his kingdom. But then Jesus died. And they were a little bit lost. Uh, they knew that they wanted more of him and they wanted more of his kingdom. But, and they also knew they were supposed to, to help lead this and build that kingdom here on earth. But they were like, he's gone. How do we do this? I mean, there's still so much we need to learn. There's still so much we don't understand. How do we carry forward this mission and lead others? And Jesus had the answer. And that answer was, and still is today, the church. Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to establish the church, to lead and equip and help others, help his followers, right, to engage in his work and continue on the work of his ministry here on earth. And whether you've been a believer for 50 years or for 50 minutes, the church exists to help you jump into the flow of God's Holy Spirit and experience more growth in God's love and God's abundant life, and to share that abundant life and love with others. That's why so many of you are here today, right? You want to be part of this. And we get a great picture of how this happened in the book of Acts, as we see the first church established. And in fact, we can see this right away in chapter 2. We're going to look at the beginning in verse 42 of the church. And Jesus has been raised from the dead here. And, uh, and uh, he's returned to heaven, and God has sent his Holy Spirit to Jesus' followers, just as Jesus had promised them. And uh, in a single day, 3,000 people were saved and entered into the church. And then it tells us what happened next. It says this in Acts 2.42. It says, these 3,000 people, the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What an incredible picture. And what an amazing statement, I think. The church enjoyed the favor of all the people. Later in Acts, it says that there was joy in the city because of the presence of the church and its members. People loved the church. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. This is our vision. This is our call. We believe this is who God wants His church to be. But it's amazing how many people in our world today have a much different view of the church at large. In his, uh, in his book, Unchristian, Barna researcher David Kinneman, he points out this. He says that 87% of people outside the church today consider the church judgmental. Another, he said 85% say it's hypocritical, and 70% of people outside the church say the church is insensitive to others and out of touch with reality. That's an incredible contrast to a church that enjoyed the favor of all the people. We have a lot to learn from this group of people in the early church of what they did, right? How they jumped in with the Holy Spirit to lead others to powerfully experience and encounter Jesus, to encounter and follow Him, to bless a broken world. We have this same mission today. This is the mission of our church, helping next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. And the same Holy Spirit is at work today. So maybe the same essential practices the first church used are still relevant and effective for us today. We believe that they are. Uh, In fact, we're naming four of these practices today, and we're claiming them as our missional map to help us move from where we are as a church and to help other churches move from where we are to where God wants us to be as his church. And these are the four practices we're naming. They're on the screen. We want to help others, invest in others, engage the word, worship God, and belong in community. We believe that when we jump into these four streams with Orchard Hill Church, through Orchard Hill Church, you not only join the mission of our church, but you join millions of followers of Jesus from throughout the ages who jumped in to God's mission and they experienced the river of life, abundant life and love as they carried forth Jesus' mission to the world. It's how we accomplish our mission here at Orchard Hill Church. And we want to get very clear about this to help you know how to jump in with us. So over the next four weeks, we're unpacking these four practices. And we're encouraging you to think about and pray about what might be one next step you need to take to be able to jump in more fully with the mission Jesus has for you and for his world. Maybe you're kind of dipping your toes in one of these streams right now, or maybe you're knee-deep in a couple of them. Uh, maybe he's asking you to, to jump in more deep and into deeper water. Or maybe he's asking you to try another stream and to jump into another stream. Because what we really hope that you'll see at the end of this series 
is that there's power in each stream, but the real power is when we bring these streams together, when they flow together to create that river of life that God wants for each of us to be immersed in. So this morning, we're talking about investing in others. And we want you to know that we believe that your capacity and the church's capacity for growth and impact is determined by how you invest in others. And we just read about this incredible impact that was experienced in that first church as they invested in each other. And we see this all over the book of Acts. So we're actually going to continue right where we left off in Acts chapter 3 with a story about Peter and John and how they invested in another. And here's how it begins. It says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention and expected to get something from them. I was in Chicago this summer for a couple of days with my wife. And there are tons of people just like this man, aren't there, sitting all over the streets asking for some help, asking for some money. And it's striking how many thousands of people walk by without ever seeing people like this man. I mean, some of us see them, but we kind of walk around them or step over them, kind of move past them. We certainly don't make eye contact with them. Maybe we drop a couple bucks in their bucket, but we don't actually look at them. I, I can even, in my own home, walk right past my son or my daughter or my wife sometimes and not even see them. That's why I'm so struck by what Peter and John did. Or this is the same situation. This is, a, this is rush hour. It's a busy street corner. They, they've got a full day plan, but they stop and they give their time and attention to a man in need. They, they see a life, and a life that has um, been challenging, right? And they start up a conversation with this man. It's incredible. And Peter, he says this. He says, silver or gold, I do not have. They don't even have what the guy is asking for, and they still stop and have this conversation. So Peter says, but what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. I love this story. This isn't like the scarecrow walking around after he got off the pole, right? And this is like fourth quarter Wisconsin. Jump, jump around, jump around. I, 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 it's like it makes me smile every time I read this story. That's what I think about. It's like all of a sudden this guy is completely healed and they're jumping around. And you think, what in the world just happened? And that's exactly what the people there were wondering. They had walked by this guy for years. And now they see him jumping around and praising God as he walks into the temple courts. And so they come running and they're amazed, it says, when they see him walking and praising God. They recognized him. And so they come and they ask, what in the world just happened? And Peter, he says this to him. He says, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own, our own power or godliness... 
We had made this man walk. We didn't do this. He says, we aren't that good. This wasn't us. God did it, and he did it for a reason. He did it to bring glory to his son, Jesus. And then Peter goes on to tell them about Jesus and about how Jesus was crucified, how God brought him back to life. Right, and, and they've seen him alive. And anyone who, who turns away from their old life of sin and turns towards Jesus can receive forgiveness for all their sins. And not only that, but they'll be blessed and they'll experience this abundant love and life. And then the religious, the religious leaders do something really strange. They throw Peter and John in jail. But there's good news because after further threats were told, They let Peter and John go. They couldn't decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. I love that part. It wasn't enough that they did a miracle. The guy was old, right? He's 40. Thanks a lot, Luke, for adding that little zinger there. This all happens, right? Amazing things happen. This is powerful. Everyone in the city is praising God because two men, two of Jesus' followers, took what God had given to them, and in the name of Jesus, they invested it in another man. And God takes that investment, and he brings dramatic results. They're physical, they're spiritual, communal results. They're out of this world. And I want to look at four things that I think Peter and John did that set up kind of a model that we can follow, that we can participate in this same movement of the Spirit. Okay? First thing is, they paid attention to others. I don't want to over-spiritualize this. I was out uh, running with my friend a couple weeks ago, and he's a member of this church, and big wig at a company, has a couple plants in the Midwest and Chicago, or in the South, and I'm thinking about this teaching, so I asked him, I said, how do you invest in others? And he says, well, um, here it is. He goes, I try to get to know my staff personally. I try to pay attention to them and know what's going on a little bit in their home life, their personal lives, as well as their work lives, and, and, um, and just be personal. I think, okay, good. You know I work for the church, so good, good, safe answer. So that's what I'm thinking. So I'm thinking, I'll rephrase the question. Like, how do you um, get them to be effective in their job? Like, how do you invest in your staff so that they're uh, helping your company be profitable and helping your company grow? And without hesitating, he says, same answer. He says, if we don't know our people, if we don't pay attention to our people, if we don't care for our people, they're not going to be here long. And then he tells me the story of a client who comes to his, his company and he, and he visits, um, uh, visits the, the plant that they have and, he, and he's sitting in the lobby and he's hanging out with some of his staff. And then he walks into his office and he says, I love coming to visit your company. Your people are so personal, so personable, so friendly. They care so much. They, they, they treat me so well. He said, I'm trying to build a company just like this. He says, I'm so excited that we get to do business together. I think that sounds a lot like the favor of the people, right? By simply stopping and paying attention to his staff and to the people around him, giving them his personal attention and care, right? this friend of mine is creating an atmosphere that others want to be a part of. They simply want to do business there, both his staff and clients. And paying attention to others creates that atmosphere. 
people want to be a part of. It's deeply spiritual, actually, and it's profoundly powerful. It's what we see Jesus doing all over the stories of the gospel as he built his ministry. I'm so thankful right now that there are a hundred people behind these walls who realize they had a lap for a child to sit in. They had arms to wrap around a child or to hold an infant, right? And to turn their attention to these little ones and just love them this morning. You don't think that's profoundly powerful and impactful? It's huge, the differences that makes in those kids' lives. Or the musicians who come up here and share so that we can be led in worship and participate in praising God. I'm so thankful for a church full of business leaders and teachers, educators, laborers, moms and dads who give their attention to others in the name of Jesus, which simply means they do it in the same character of Jesus with the same compassion that Jesus has for all of us. And they set aside their agendas and they give their personal attention and time to people, especially to people they see in need. Sometimes the needs seem a little bit overwhelming, like, like when an entire nation of people is being chased from their homes by terror. And we wonder, what, what do I have to give? What, what do I have to offer? The man at the gate asked Peter and John for money, and they didn't have any. Um, and that, for most of us, would be the end of the story, but not for Peter and John. All right, instead, here's what they did. They knew and trusted and used what God had given them to invest in another person. They knew they had something powerful to offer. And they didn't hesitate to invest that gift to help this man. Clearly, the gift of healing, pretty cool gift, right? (laughs) That would be awesome. Go around and tell people they're healed. I would like that. At least that's what I thought initially. And then I remembered that, you know, Jesus healed a lot of people and and they killed him. And Peter healed a lot of people, and they hung him upside down on a cross. So maybe I should be pretty content with the gifts he's given me, right? And pay attention to the gifts he's given me and use those to invest in others. And we see other disciples doing this throughout the book of Acts. In chapter 9, we meet Tabitha. and She was a follower of Jesus. And we're told in in chapter 9 that she was always doing good and helping the poor. When she died, the widows showed Peter all the robes and all the clothing that she had made for them when she was with them. God had given Tabitha the gift of craftsmanship. And she invested in some widows by using her skills as a seamstress to help meet their needs. Which sounds an awful lot like these women who make pillowcase dresses to give to the girls in Haiti so they can go to school, so they can go to church, so that they can grow, be educated and grow in their understanding of Christ. And Peter is so moved by this investment Tabitha made and by the love and life that flowed out of this investment that he raises Tabitha back to life so that she can keep going. There's this huge impact materially, communally, spiritually, and he raises her back to keep that thing going. And there are lots of other accounts of other early Christians doing the same thing, investing their gifts and jumping into the flow of the Spirit, gifts of of teaching and leadership and mercy, gifts of administration and encouragement that they invest in others, and amazing things happen. And sometimes, not only did they give their talents and their time, but they also gave their money. And we read about Joseph. In chapter 4, a Levite from Cyprus, 
whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And he encouraged the church by, by selling a field he owned and bringing the money and putting it at the apostles' feet. And just before this, we're told that from time to time, things like this actually happened. People chose to make financial investments in the church above and beyond what they normally gave to help others. This still happens today. We just had a man in December sell a rental property and he brought uh, the profits from that sale and gave it to the church to help meet important needs in the church. Last week we had a guy give us a truck to help us pull our new trailers full of equipment to Waverly and to be able to set up that service. We have lots of people who give regularly to help us carry out this mission. We cannot thank you enough for your generous gifts and we cannot overstate how important these gifts are to the mission of Orchard Hill Church. And at the same time, for some of you, this may be a next step. This may be a place where God is asking you to jump in more fully with the mission he's on, and the mission of this church, to take a look at your financial resources. And maybe he's asking you to be on board more regularly with a percentage of your income. Or maybe this is one of those from time to time moments where God has given you a special resource and he's saying invest this in the church and trust me with the results. Over and over we see people in the church investing in this church and in the community using their God-given talents, time and resources. And God's returns are out of this world. I could tell you stories about how more than 26,000 people since June from all around the world have encountered Jesus and the good news of Jesus because we have some people who know things about computers and know things about sound and know things about video and they recorded Ben and Bailey and Charlie's funeral and they recorded the gathering and they put these things online and 26,000 people or more have now experienced the good news of Jesus through their investment. I could tell you how homemade bars and coffee and hospitality brought a couple of widows back into our church and, and, and brought them back into the life of church just last week. But what I want to tell you about is Jolene. Okay, Jolene sat right where you are a few years ago, and she heard a similar message from Dave Bartlett. And um, I want you to hear what happened next. So take a look at this video. I went to service and Dave was speaking on serving others and using your gifts and how you can volunteer and how we need to step it up. And I remember sitting in church and thinking, you know, God, I just know you can use me somehow. I must have a gift. You know, just let me know. Just let me know how you want to use me. And um, I thought I was done. I thought, whoo, check mark, done. That's all I have to do. You know, I didn't hear any big answer. And... Uh, the next week, I came home from work, and there on the answer machine, Tim Wollaston had left a message. And he said, you know, Jolene, the caravan's looking for a nurse, and they thought maybe that I'd be a good fit. And they said, you know, if this is something you want to do, please get back with us. I thought of everything, every reason why I can't do it. You know, I got a job, I got a family, I was coaching, and I thought, no, not going to probably work. And I said, you know, God, if there's just a way to show me a sign on what you want. And my husband was standing there, and he's like, Joe, they're calling you on the phone. God's trying to get hold of you. So then I knew this is something I have to try. And it's been great. It's out of my comfort zone. You know, I've been a labor and delivery nurse for 20 years. So going on caravan 
was first aid. And so, you know, I had to kind of reach deep into the cobwebs to figure out, you know, is this something I'm comfortable with? I need that big sign that says, you know, he needs to call me on the phone because I don't know that I would have known to do that before. And it was a perfect fit. Every year you see them grow in their faith um, and their love for Jesus and uh, their trust in each other. And so if you're like me and you don't see the signs, then he's going to find that little slot you need to fill. And it's just perfect for you. And that's what he did for me. Your husband played a part in that. Yeah, he did. He had to kind of slap me a little bit to say, pay attention. And it's true. It's true. You hear it, don't you? I mean, um, she says it was a perfect fit. Jolene says it was a perfect fit, but it wasn't at first. You heard the doubts at first. It wasn't. She was, a, she was an OB nurse, not a first aid nurse. right? She, she had a job. How can she get away? Um, I'm not sure how this thing is going to turn out. And she had to trust Jesus for the results. Right? And, she, and she had to pay attention to the gifts that God had given her. And thankfully, Tony, her husband, was around to say, hey, these are the gifts. He's calling you, right? But ultimately, she had to trust God for the results, which is also what we see Peter and John do in our story. It's the third thing that they do. They trust Jesus for the results. They pay attention and they trust God that he's given them these gifts and he's going to do something with them. Five loaves and two fish right in the hands of Jesus become a meal for thousands. It was a dumb idea, just like Jolene thought. This is not a good idea at first. But then she did it, and God did something amazing with it. Peter and John knew Jesus. They walked closely with Jesus. They had seen him take those loaves and those fish and feed the masses. So they knew what Jesus' power could do when people simply bring their gifts of what he's given them to share with others. Peter to, or Jesus told them, right? He didn't, he didn't tell them to rely on their own power. He said, rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Trust in Him. And then go and be my witnesses and watch what I do with what you bring and what the Spirit does. And they did, and it started small, but then it grew, and you see all these amazing results. This is uncomfortable for us many times. Right? We, we prefer to play things safe and do things out of just our own power. But as an investor, uh, Robert Arnott points out, he says, in investing, what is comfortable is rarely profitable. So the early followers of Jesus made bold investments, and they got a little bit uncomfortable, but they saw amazing results, and then they took the final step. When God did something amazing with what they brought to share with others, it opened the door for the disciples to tell others about Jesus and to boldly invite them to jump in with them into God's river of life. When God does something awesome, it's the perfect opportunity for us to tell other people about Jesus and invite them to jump in and join us in his movement. In fact, that was the entire point of the whole investment, to bring glory to Jesus to put the spotlight on Jesus, to make his name great and to bring others into that same glory. This is the purpose of our church and it might be uncomfortable. We might not be this bold. It might cost us something. The disciples themselves were thrown in jail. Some people might not like it when we talk about Jesus, right? Some people might get upset. 
But instead of shying away, instead of um, praying just for protection and safety, you know what the disciples did? They actually prayed that God would give them greater boldness. That God would help them make even greater investments of other people so that they could see more of God's power at work in the world and more people could be swept up in his movement. What would happen if we as a church were to trust God for greater results? Or what would happen if we as a church began praying for greater boldness and investing in others? What would happen if you went home and prayed and asked that God would show you how to make a bold investment in others and jump in more fully to what he's doing in this world and immerse yourself in his abundant love and life? What does your next step look like? We want to help you with that. Will you pray with me? Father, I am so thankful for a church that has so many people who are investing right now in the work that you want us to continue. But I also know that so for many of us, we, 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 uh, we still want something more, or there's still something missing. Father, help us to know how you might be asking us to, to jump in more fully, or to, to, how, how we can pay attention to the gifts you've given us, how we can pay attention to others around us, how we can invest those gifts you've given us and trust you with the results. And Lord, as we do that, I pray that we would see these amazing results, that we would enjoy the favor of people, of all the people, that people would come running and jumping and praising your holy name because of the work you're doing. But what, a, what an awesome privilege it is us for to participate with you in this mission. So help us to see where we can jump in. It's in your name we pray. Amen.